Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With lockdown limitations continually adjusting and the summer now looking us beautifully in the eye, we continue with regular discussions about our respective horticultural worlds. Putting the pandemic's grip on us aside, we sincerely hope that you found enough moments to quietly contemplate, distract yourself, gaze in wonder and generally pour positive and fruitful energy into this most glorious and rewarding of hobbies, which, for Saul and myself, we are lucky enough to also call our profession. Restrictions are still with us, experiences are still unprecedented, but Lucy and I hope that by providing you with a continued shortened version of this podcast every few days, you can easily fit a small dose of horticultural musings into your routine. We will, of course, still bring you longer bonus episodes too, when we chat to inspirational peers on more in-depth gardening topics. So fire up the kettle, get comfortable in your favourite chair and join us now for a 20-minute escape into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. So hello on this, for the moment, it's a very sunny morning uh, at the weekend. And for me, this is a very special weekend because it's my sixth wedding anniversary. Ooh. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm just happy for that. That's very, a very special time to, to remember and celebrate. And also, my husband, who uh, has... He's a superstar, you know. You know that anyhow. You've met him. You you he, agree? He is. He's handy. He's a hand. He's yeah. a handy man. Well, do you know what? He has confirmed his status in the uh, the handyman stakes because he is putting down the greenhouse floor at the moment, and it's almost there. We've worked out. He's only got eight more cuts of the Ooh. block paving to 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 make, and then. Imagine tonight we're going to be having a lovely steak and chips meal with all the trimmings. Uh, and I'm actually going to put a table and chairs in the greenhouse, get some candles, get some flowers. And that is going to be us. <laughs> that very, is going to be us. Ro- that is what they call so, a gardener's romantic meal in the greenhouse. Although, actually, you say, you say that. I did see um, a news article. Apparently, is it in um, Holland that they're thinking of opening restaurants by putting people in mini glass houses outside. I'm sure I saw that on a news article. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm a pioneer, you know. What I can I say? I was thinking of you. They, they were quite <laughs> simple aluminium greenhouses, so they didn't quite have the, the cachet and glamour of your beautiful cedar uh, <laughs> creation that you've, you, you have designed yourself. Um, but I, I can imagine how excited you are just to... I, I know you've put the borders in now, the, the, the permanent borders are in there, and you did yeah. show me a photo of the um uh, of the floor going down these really beautiful pavers which i'm sure you're going to post on on I will Twitter do, but you you had point. the world exclusive on that i, did I have gave the you world first exclusive. viewing yeah and, yeah and it just look it does look sensational and i know uh, from your point of view and being someone who's so excited um to grow things same mm-hmm. as me same as everyone who i'm sure has a greenhouse having it finished and ready to go and ready to all sing, all dance. Must I be know. really exciting. It's gorgeous. We're going to... I'm surrounded by tomatoes, which for me are... They're so entrenched in my, my life because my parents were commercial tomato growers. So we're going to be sat there tonight surrounded by tomato plants in this lovely greenhouse that we've designed and, and put together. And, oh, yeah, I'm, it's just a nice moment. And um, 
yeah, so, yes, because Adam Frost was, we were saying he was talking about moments, creating moments in your garden. And I get, you know, Adam, I was listening. I've got it. I am creating a moment tonight. So uh, I will be thinking of you, but I'm, I'll mostly be thinking of Ian, to be fair. But I will, great, we'll raise a glass to you. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, how are you, Saul? Are you all right? I'm good. Um, I think we're both quite happy with the weather, aren't we? We've had yes. some uh, we've had some millimeters of rain. Uh, it's still raining here. I know it's quite sunny with you, but the ground has definitely been, you know, quite saturated. We we did do a little digging at Stonelands uh, this week, and we did find the ground was a bit dry in some locations, especially around the trees. Uh, uh, they've obviously been sucking the water up as much as they can. But I, I think um, we've had enough rain to uh, sort of cancel that spring drought in some ways we'll just have to see yeah. how the weather expands now I think it's going to get a bit drier but um, fingers crossed that bit of moisture has saved us saved our bacon in some ways for some of the plantings we've made it's allowed us to catch our breath I think I think you've you've definitely had much more than us I think we mm. were we were talking before we were pressing a record and you've had about 100 mil we've had 15 mil uh, so one five, not five zero in Essex. But even that, I know that on our our soil, which is light and sandy, that if I have twenty mil every fortnight, that gets me by. So I, I think, yeah, this has given us a chance to. It's not topped levels up for us by any means, but it's meant that we haven't had to water this week, which has just been in itself a little mm, rest. Yes. And it's, do you know what? It's been quite nice to get the rain on your skin. One day this week, I think it was the Wednesday, we were planting tomatoes outside at the hall, and it tipped it down at one point and we just carried on going because we knew that we were finishing work within that hour so you can go home have a cup of tea get completely changed out of all your soaking clothes and just to feel the rain on my skin I know it sounds cliche and stuff but it was actually really pleasant so yeah that was a that was a nice nice it's, thing to to do it's another one of your moments <laughs> I'm going to call them the Adam Frost moments we will I'm going to start bursting into song if anyone's a bit confused by we're calling them the Adam Frost moments, we've literally just uh, recorded a bonus episode uh, of the podcast with Adam. Uh, oh. We're really grateful of him coming on. So please do yeah. go back and listen to that and to all our other bonus episodes. Uh, we've got some fantastic interviews and we have um, at least four or five more in the pipeline coming up yeah, so fingers crossed people are going to enjoy those and um, they'll add something a little extra for just listening to me and Lucy talk about our mo- our gardening moments yeah <laughs> waffling on what? no quality quality content sorry quality I keep getting content. it wrong quality content so 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 we thought the topic of this uh, this podcast episode would be something that we know is a, a very popular pastime for many many gardeners out there professional and amateur and it is growing in containers mm. and we both do this in our own private gardens and on our estates i saw your private garden is full full of containers so really this is going to be your moment to explain to people how best to look after their plants especially in the heat of summer when sometimes it can be a bit more difficult to manage the moisture levels all that kind of stuff so so yeah what have you learned about containers in your in your own private garden yeah it's it's interesting with containers I think it's one of the questions we definitely get asked a lot about both when we do the radio I know I'm always getting asked about how to grow things in containers and also when we do our advice desk at BBC Gardeners World Live and Mm. there's so much to think about because One of the things I know is that we're very lucky with our big, large gardens that we can grow a lot of things in open ground. And the general consensus is that most plants, uh, whether they're herbaceous, shrubs, trees, do so much better in the open ground than they will do in containers. And 
that's really what you've got to start thinking about what the difference is. What, why, why do things do better in open ground rather than containers? Well, mo- mostly because open ground is this living, breathing system. So it has all the microfauna. It's regularly um, getting inundated with organic material, whether it's from leaves or worms doing their action. It obviously holds on to water so much better. And then this is all the things that actually don't really happen in containers so much. So I always like to sort of um, emphasise that containers are an artificial environment for plants to be in, and therefore it's much more difficult for them to um, live independently. And that's where you, as the owner of said container or said plants, uh, come in, because you've got to actually provide the plants with everything that it might get if it was in open ground and you've got to think about it more um firstly your plant choice now as lucy's alluded to i grow lots of containers in my back garden i probably haven't counted them yet although i'm halfway through the labeling so i'll soon have an actual number Um, (laughs) there'll be a spreadsheet somewhere telling you how many you've got (laughs) there will be a spreadsheet with all all the id numbers on it um (laughs) um but uh, so I grow a lot of things. Um, I do grow uh, both herbaceous uh, plants, such as my gingers and all my alocasia and my colocasia. But there's also trees in there. Most of the brugmansias are large trees and shrubs. I do grow um, a few actual trees that are still quite young, but they eventually they will get planted out. Um, they're sort of in a temporary state state as they're in the pots. Um, so you can grow a lot of things in containers, but it is well worth thinking about that, you know, there are certain plants and I will say the larger shrubs and trees, you can get away with it for a few years, growing them in smaller um, containers, but eventually they will outstrip the the need to have a, a bigger site they just need to get their roots out to really show themselves so first you got to think about what you're growing in your containers um and that usually dictates the conditions so the first thing we contain is obviously talking about what potting medium you use um now for most people it will be what they can get from their local garden center because um there's lots of different mixes that you can you can use and you can even make up your own mix that's what i do and i'm sure that's probably what you do as well, is it, Lucy? Yes, yeah, I do, I do, yeah. Mostly people use multi-purpose. Now, uh, obviously, the big debate is between peat-free and peat composts. I use a peat-free bark-based um, compost. Well, I think I think we're finding that bar- bar- um, peat-free composts now actually are their their um, performance is is vastly improving. The the formulations there are getting so much better. So just to add very quickly, if you have tried peat-free compost before because you want to for conservation purposes, um, try, and you've been disappointed, try them again because honestly, in the there's Silver Court is a, a company that we and Dalesford Organics and also New Horizon are three brands that are um, in the trade. We know they're they're performing well so so do give them a go uh, no absolutely and then i usually mix it with um um so that is an organic compost that's sort of multi-purpose then i usually uh, mix it with a non-organic compost which is usually the john innes brands um one two or three according to what uh, f- um feed uh, level i want in the compost and then usually i will add um some sort of drainage mechanism now, either you can add perlite uh, or you can add grit 
and depending on the levels that you use depending on the plants so if it's something like a, a very free draining mix I'll add a lot of grit but if I actually want it to retain a bit more moisture I'll use a little less so it's well worth thinking about what composts you use for certain plants um, then it's well worth knowing how big the plant grows because I think a lot of people try to get away with growing quite large plants in very small pots uh, I think that is that is the perennial issue isn't it that we get when we go to the uh, the shows and we get people ask us questions that often is the, the we always say if you can go for as as for a mature plant as big a pot as you possibly can accommodate and I think that's a good measure because um yeah, you see photographs of because uh, people now do take a lot of photographs of the plants in their gardens, which is so useful when you come to diagnosing problems. And immediately you can see that that plant in that container is just out of proportion as much as anything else. Visually, it looks wrong, but also there's a lot of cultural um, uh, problems that you can bring by having a plant that's congested in its container. Yeah, and and the bigger the root run, the better the plant does in some ways. That there is an inverse thing that if you put it in too big a pot then it can be just sitting in very wet, soggy compost. And that can actually uh, uh, detrimentally affect the roots. So it is well worth yeah. trying to get a pot that's big enough, but not overly big. Um, and I think that's especially true when the plants are young, isn't it? When the root system is still quite modest, um, don't be tempted to jump up into the mature plant's um, ideal container straight away do it in increments because um like you say otherwise water logging is the most off, um common problem there because people water the this big volume of compost the little root system within that compost just gets saturated and can't use the moisture quickly enough and it just just rots away and that's that's again just something to avoid if you can no abso absolutely and the great thing um about containers is then where you site them and, and the brilliant thing is you can move them about to wherever you want so it's worth thinking that if it's in a place where it's drying out constantly it may just be sitting in too much sun you can just move it around and, and try and, and try and uh, work it in another area um, so the next thing to consider with uh, containers is the ongoing um, maintenance and um, basically the watering and the feeding of containers. Because what you've got to remember is that because um, it's a small root run, again, different from um, an open site, open soil. Obviously, you're going to be supplying it with all of those life giving um, elements. So both water and feed so it's well worth getting into well most professional gardeners have uh, uh like to put in a, um, a rotor or, or a system or a um well i do mine's mine's called um mine's called feed me friday that essentially is what i do feed me friday feed me, well, that's great feed me friday on friday that is the day that i go around or my apprentice jade will go around and feed all the pots and there you go simple as but it's you know it sticks in your brain then doesn't it so. no it works and do you know i have a similar thing because mine's a, mine's on a thursday because that's when we uh until the whole uh, coronavirus thing happened that's when we had our apprentice in mm. always on a thursday and it would be one of the jobs that i would give them because it give, give them a real sense of how to look after plants especially in the vegetable garden mm. and it also the one thing I love about uh, feeding and um, watering containers is it gives you a chance to visit all the plants and see how they're doing. So it's, sometimes when you're working in a professional garden, you don't actually get to see all the plants or all the garden in a week. 
So sometimes having a just a little moment, a little schedule where you're watering and feeding just gives you that moment in the week just to check up on the plants um, rather than trying to make it a specific task. And then you can always spot if anything's going wrong. So with watering, um, what's interesting with containers is they'll dry out a lot quicker than you than you think. And I think this is one thing that really sort of um, can surprise the amateur end of uh, of the hobby in that people don't realize even when it's been raining that actually containers are drying out very quickly so at home uh, with my containers i might be in the height of summer out there watering both mornings and evenings um and i think lots of people think they can get away with it and the funny thing about plants is they will put up with a lot of neglect we'll put that you know they they will put up with you not watering them so often but you'll find that they won't live up to their full potential either in growth or flowering um and they do need that constant supply of water just to keep all the metabolism going and all and all the growth they'll exist won't they they'll exist but they won't thrive and just just quickly to add as well i i think that there's there's quite a few variables that affect how much water a plant would need. So we sh- we should just quickly mention as well the actual type of container that you're using because um, if you use something like a um, a porous terracotta pot, so one that's not glazed, the amount of moisture that will wick out of those porous sides of the pot is phenomenal. Um, and some plants like that. I have basil in terracotta pots because I know it likes regenerating. A lot of my herbs from the Mediterranean are in terracotta pots like that. But then if you want have a plant, probably your collocasias, for example, things that like a bit of more moisture around their root system, if you've got those in, a say, a thick-walled concrete pot or a glazed pot, or um, you can put a plastic pot within a very ornamental pot. Um, all those systems will allow the moisture to stay in the root system. You can even, if you want to, line the insides of the pot with bubble plastic, which actually acts as a, a way to stop the moisture wicking out, but also acts as an insulation if your plants are a little bit tender. So so there are, as I say, there's variations. So you do need to get to know your individual plants. And, and also, we've, we've very quickly touched upon the size of the root system. If your plants are congested, and the roots have all pressed to the outside of the pot, which is what happens over time when plants get too root-bound, those are the bits that dry out first. And so if you have a plant that's repeatedly drying out, and as you say, sometimes in the heart of summer it can happen at a phenomenal rate, then those plants really probably prioritise for repotting, um, but also just just really keep on top of the watering as much as you can. Yeah, and pot choice is actually also very interesting for root ball temperature, which I don't think a lot of people think about because actually you've got to remember that the root balls are quite small, so they can warm up, especially in full sun, quite quickly. So having them in a terracotta pot with that wicking effect actually cools down the root ball, whereas having them in mm. plastic pots actually keeps can sometimes keep the heat in, plastic being an insulator, and if uh, a root ball gets too hot, actually the roots can die off. So that's also something to think about. So there's so many factors to think about. Um, when it comes to feeding, um, it, that's also a really interesting topic that a lot of people bring up. When do I feed my containers? Again, it depends on the plant. Uh, some plants will get away with no feeding. Some plants actively don't actually like to be overfed. A lot of my proteaceae, uh, my proteas and my banksias, you have to be very careful on the feeding because they're specifically um 
conditioned not to enjoy a lot of feed or a mm. specific many orchids are the same yeah, aren't they orchids, sorry to, no, just because no, i know all, many people grow orchids in pots mm. you know a lot of people that's the go-to houseplant these days is a lovely orchid in the pot but again be very mindful that a lot of orchids are very sensitive to the fertilizer salts in their root system and they they really want to be fed a minimal quantity don't they uh, absolutely so you've got to think about the plants that you've got uh, but then if you're if you're looking for a general feed or a general feed system first you've got to remember that lots of compost uh especially the john innes type already have feed added so uh if you've repotted something you probably won't have to feed it for about a month maybe a uh, maybe two months depending on the the quality of the compost um but eventually the plant will um exhaust the compost of all the feed uh especially mm. plants like my brugmansia which are gluttonous feeders they'll run out of feed from the compost itself within half a half a month to a month so after that it's that's when the time comes that you've really got to start adding it yourself and there are so many feeds on the market these days uh, i always recommend uh, when i'm talking about a general feed something like a grow more which is a 777 in the npk scale it just means it's a general fertilizer if you're looking more for flower and fruit you can use uh, tomatoite which is a classic um, high potassium um, uh, feed um, but then just follow the rules that are on the bottle in general and that's generally anything between 10 days and two weeks between feeds yeah. and again it's worth it's worth getting into a schedule like lucy in that if you know which day you're doing it say a friday then you know that in two in a fortnight's time on a friday you've got to do it again um so it's well worth getting into that sort of that um, timetable you can put a slow if you don't want to be feeding liquid feeds uh, but it's, it's when they're really straightforward to use so don't feel put off by them you can use slow release fertilizers and add that to your compost mix and the only thing to say there is that bear in mind that those fertilizers are massively massively concentrated and so don't be tempted to chuck in an extra handful just because you think oh that'll make the plant grow even more actually you could you can overfeed your plants especially if they're um going back to the liquid feeds if you if you feed a plant and the pot is already very dry uh, that can cause problems it's as much better if you can to ensure your plants are kept well watered and then go in with a liquid feed just to make sure that the the roots don't get scorched off one one thing i was just going to quickly add so i was listening to the the points that we're raising here is that there are some plants that we've talked about the root system and how if it gets congested, it can cause problems. There are some plants, though, that actually do quite like being in pots because it encourages them to flower well. So here, for example, I'm thinking of things such as Strelitzia, the bird of paradise. Mm. So uh, Agapanthus, you know, they flower well in pots. Um, things like the Cymbidium orchids, actually, they crammed into a pot, so they're almost breaking the pot open. That seems to be a condition that they enjoy. So we're not trying to confuse people here, but it was just to say that it's not a one size fits all for containers you you and maybe this is where people especially the newcomers get get muddled because there is a lot of advice out there depending on your circumstances your plant your garden your age of the plant the containers you're using the compost you know that it is very very um uh not sorry it's not straight and narrow is it but but yeah i'm, I'm just trying to think there's as I say, these plants do actually quite like to be quite tight in their containers. So although repotting is a useful exercise to do, say, in the spring or the autumn, 
You don't necessarily need to do it for every single thing. I've got some agapanthus that are very, very tight in their pots, but they flower fantastically. Yeah, so. uh, uh, well, it's the same with me. All, you know, most of mine, and I must say, you know, with all those containers, if you just get used to growing in containers and you follow some set set rules and things, then you you know things really do romp away. It, it's not a hard thing to mm. do. I, I, I think the 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 downfall for most people comes when they don't realise that they have to do set things like replenish the compost, like doing the feeding, like doing watering a little bit more than, say, their normal plants. Mm. And then you'll start seeing those classic signs of a plant not enjoying the situation, yellowing of leaves, things not really growing very well, uh, leaves falling off. They're all classic signs of uh, a pot not doing so well in a container. So I think in summary, what we're saying is that containers are great because you can grow all sorts of things, move them around, have an ever-changing display in gardens. And if you go to places mm. like Great Dixter and Colleton Fishacre, you'll see massive, big displays of pots of all kinds of exotics and, and things, and they, and they do them really well. But you've just got to be mindful that unlike open beds which have that um, microfauna, have that biome that's always replenishing the feed and the water, etc. Pots are very artificial air, um, sort of growing um, conditions. And it's up to you as the owner and the person looking after it to supply the conditions that the plant needs. So it's well worth getting to know um, the plants again and the conditions they need so that you can grow things successfully in pots. So that concludes today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and would love any feedback or reviews you feel compelled to give us via your preferred podcast provider or social media platform. Life in the garden and out of it continually evolves for all of us. There is now reference to a new kind of normal and we are excited to hope that this will bring opportunities to visit gardens, friends and colleagues old and new so we can gradually adjust from virtual to actual worlds. Specialist nurseries, gardening charities, small businesses and self-employed individuals will still rely on us for financial support and encouragement over the coming weeks and months. We hope everyone in this profession is digging deep and finding ways to flourish. We are continually thinking of you all. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.